I've been playing outdoors since I was a kid, standing by the front door at around two years old, hollering, side, side, trying to get my mom to let me go play outside. Now, after 30 plus years working in the outdoor business, I'm dropping insider conversations every week with brand leaders, guides, marketers, CEOs, and others that make the outdoor business a trillion dollar juggernaut that drives product innovation, revenue, and public policy for everything outdoors. I'm Rick Says. Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Miles to Memories. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung and Mark Osterman. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to start by talking about Chase and their brand new United Quest card, why it may be Chase's most valuable card, and what you can get for signing up for it. Definitely an interesting launch by Chase. Plus, American Express is backing off Centurion Access for some of their cardholders, specifically in 2023, they're going to limit guests from getting access or charge $50 to get in. We'll talk about this decision that has so many in the hobby up in arms. Plus, I'll discuss the economics of my Florida trip, the three hotels I stayed in, how I paid for them, what value I got out of it, and how I saved time and money along the way. Plus, rapid fires and more. If you like the show, please consider subscribing. Visit mtmpodcast.com for links to subscribe or just search Miles to Memories in your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening. Let's hit it. So, gentlemen, how has, uh, how has your week been? I wasn't here last week, obviously, in Florida, so I didn't listen to the episode. Should I have listened to it? How many times did Mark make fun of me? Only once at the beginning <laughs> and end and a few times in the middle. Actually, I, I did listen Bethany to the very end of it. No, I'm just I did listen to the very end of it where he told Bethany to fill in for me anytime, but I uh, didn't listen to the Where <laughs> I said, how about next week? Maybe Sean will stay in Florida. That, and yeah, then that's, he sent me that's a the part I heard. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me so painfully about the part that I had heard. Uh, I was actually, I was in Bush Gardens. Uh, listening to parts of it uh, as I was in line for one of the roller coasters. So I did catch some of it, but uh, thank you to Bethany for filling in and thank you gentlemen for, uh, for doing that. How are things otherwise? Pretty good. This weekend we actually spent uh, a night at the cottage for the first time since November. Cause it was, it was warm enough and we finally had got the water turned on, turned on the water, water heater is not working. So I have to mess with that. I was up there. I let it heat up for a couple hours and I couldn't feel any warmth. So we gave it a couple days, went back and it's definitely warmer than cold, but it's not even lukewarm. So I don't know if the heater uh, thing burned out or what over the winter, most likely. So I got to get somebody up there to look at it or maybe swap it out. So just the joys of it, you know, we can't ever, ever have anything just go smoothly when we go up there. Well, hopefully uh, that's the last of your issues for a while. A lot of little things adding up. So hopefully. Yeah. And I mean, it's, if it was at your normal house, it wouldn't be a big deal. Or if it was the, down the road or whatever. But since it's so far an hour and 15 minutes, which isn't terrible, but it's just contacting people in a city you don't know anybody. You, you haven't worked with a company before. So you're trying to figure out who's a good uh, person to use for things like a plumber, electrician, stuff like that. And then getting a time that works that you can get out there and get it done. So that's where the pain is. The actual having it done isn't a huge deal. And Joe, where is your pain coming from these days? My pain is coming from my left ear where I've been on hold for Disney with Disney for over two hours. So I apologize. I have to cut out. But uh, hopefully by the time people are hearing this, I will be on my way home from a trip. But let me just say that you cannot plan a last minute Disney trip these days, even if you already have park pass reservations. So I don't want to go into it. It's, it's, 
it's too uh, too much minutia and annoying. But hopefully, it'll all have worked out by the time you hear this on Thursday. But we'll see. Should have just done what I did and gone to SeaWorld and Legoland, and you wouldn't have had uh, those issues. Definitely should have done that. Although, yeah. you know, listening to your SeaWorld review, maybe I'm going to take a pass on SeaWorld for a little while. I don't blame you on that. But say, We did say off the air uh, before we started, I was like, Joe, I think I wrote about this exact same phenomena that's going to happen all summer. It's going to be horrible if if bookings or something doesn't go properly, hold times, understaffed uh, call centers, everything like that. So be prepared for it if you're going to travel this summer. It's going to be awful. And you definitely should go back to that episode uh, and also the article Mark wrote about it. And I was telling Mark also off air while we were waiting to get started that I had to put a call into JetBlue's Mosaic line this morning and there was a half hour wait. And then I asked for a call back and they were like, you know, they said half hour wait. So I was like, oh, I'll get a call back in half an hour. An hour and a half later, no one had called me back. So I called back to JetBlue, waited another 25 minutes, got through, did my thing. And then 10 minutes ago, which was four and a half hours after I originally requested the call back, I got it. So, you know, even for mosaics and stuff like that, I know there was a big thunderstorm in the southeast that's throwing things off. But yeah, it's going to be rough for a while. And Danny just wrote an article about how airlines are like hiring people back early and stuff like that, because, you know, it's getting real busy. Yeah. And not just on the booking side, but on the actual travel experiential side, a lot of these places like where I experienced at SeaWorld, they're understaffed. They're not ready for the amount of people. They don't have the training that they need. So I think the entire travel industry on the front end and on the back end is going to have kind of growing pains as it stretches back to a size that it hasn't been for a while. So I think that people are going to need patience top to bottom. They're going to be traveling in the next year or so. That's Kirsten right. talking about our water. Oh, okay. <laughs> for people not on the live stream, it's just the emoji of frosty face. So while travel can be a bit of a frustration, one of the benefits, I guess, of the pandemic is there's been lots of great offers, lots of great new benefits that have come. And along those lines, Chase launched a brand new card, the Chase United Quest card this week. It's very interesting, maybe not the best card long term, but has a really valuable signup bonus. I guess we'll start off. Mark, you said, did you apply for it or you're going to apply for it? And, you know, maybe talk about a little bit what United Quest is. Kirsten applied for it and she was approved. So United uh, Quest, <laughs> that's a good name for a card, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, I had her sign up for it. And she got approved with a 5K limit. She had seven personal cards. Uh, the IHG Premier annual fee just hit after the one year. Uh, she signed up for it last year. I had her close that, and then that freed up enough space that we could get this card and get instantly approved so she didn't have to call in and move her own credit limits and stuff like that. And luckily, the IHG Free Night already posted for the annual fee, so that gets to stay in the account even though she technically didn't pay it, which is uh, a nice IT perk of Chase sometimes. Not so much with the Hyatt card anymore, but with the IHG card, it seems to still happen. So, yeah, we grabbed it. Had to. You getting it? No? Yeah? Maybe? Well, let's talk about what it is first. Oh, yeah. Talk about what it is. And then I need to solicit some advice from my uh, Chase guru, Mark. All right. So, you get have a split sign-up bonus, 80,000 United Miles after 5,000 spend in the first three months, and then the ability to earn an additional 20,000 miles after 10,000 spend within the first six months. So, if you do the Entire 10,000 spend, you're getting 100,000 United Miles, $250 annual fee, and it comes with 125 in statement credits for United purchases. Um, you can get 5,000 miles back for each award flight per year, up to twice per year, standard kind of global entry, pre-check credit, free first and second check bag. And then on the earnings side, you're getting 3X on United, 2X on all travel, 2X on streaming, 1X on other purchases. So not sort of groundbreaking when it comes to the earnings. 
I guess, unless you really spend a lot of money on United. But that sign-up bonus is quite valuable. And I know, Mark, you have the Chase card rankings on our site, and you updated those and found that this Chase United Quest bonus was the most valuable sign-up bonus that they have right now based on our rankings, even more than the Sapphire Preferred bonus, right? Yeah, and I will say a couple things on the offer. I believe the 5000 rebate on award bookings starts after the first year. It's like something to tease you just to keep it, and then it will go on from there. So similar to what you know Delta does with like the Companion Pass on their cards or Alaska, where you get it after the first year. So that's something to be aware of. I originally thought that it was just included right from the get-go, but that is something that, that kicks off the second year. And they also do have a lot of good travel protections, similar to the World of Hyatt card, which is good for any Chase annual fee cards. You're having primary car rental insurance, you have trip delay insurance, lost baggage insurance, all that stuff. So that's kind of nice if you are booking it, uh, using it to book your United flights. And yeah, I did the updated rankings where I rank, uh, I put a valuation for each welcome offer. You know, we include the annual fee costs, we add back any credits, and then we kind of shake it out and see where it lands. And I was kind of surprised. I expected the, the new United Quest card to be second, third, somewhere in there. But it actually beat out the Sapphire Preferred by uh, a whole $10. <laughs> so at a 1.4 cent valuation of United Miles, which I think is pretty reasonable, you get $1,275 in value after the $250 annual fee and adding back the $125 in credits. Sapphire Preferred with the 80,000 point increased offer right now, subtracting out the annual fee of $95 and giving a point valuation of 1.7 cents for ultimate rewards, you get $1,265 in value. So either card's great. Uh, if you're just starting out, go with the Sapphire Preferred because it's transferable currency type of thing. But if you're within that four-year window where you can sign up for a, you know, where you can't sign up for a preferred or a reserve and you are under 524, I think the United Quest is a good option, mainly for partner bookings because I won't fly United. <laughs> Yeah, you're like the rare person who it's funny that even in your article you're writing, you know, I love I love to use their miles for partner bookings, uh, but you you don't like United. Uh, I definitely agree with you on flying United. I would fly them, clearly. I fly Frontier, so why not? But it would have to be the best uh, deal and I haven't used their miles to fly on United in quite a long time, but I have booked partner awards uh, quite often. So, it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this is a, a great offer and uh, like we said, like you broke down in your article, Long term, I don't know that this is a card that I need just because I'm not so invested in the United ecosystem. But it's also a currency that I could see my, myself using without too, too much of a problem. I can top up with your ultimate rewards. So, yeah, I think that this is a card definitely worth grabbing uh, for a lot of people. I have Ryan working on an article, what he would do with the 100,000 United miles. So it gives you some ideas of what's possible. You know, the excursionist perk is pretty cool where you can basically add like an extra leg for free on a flight. You can get to Europe and, and coach, that, you know, that 100,000 miles will get you one and a half trips to Europe in, in economy. So if you're an economy flyer, that's a good use. So there's a lot of options here. And I will say for United Flyers, if you're a United frequent flyer, I think you'll get the value back. You know, the two 5,000 uh, rebates each year. That's worth at least $100, most likely closer to like $150 to people. And then the annual credit of $125, that pretty much offsets the annual fee right there. And this also gets you the access to the increased award space to cardholders for United cardholders. So sometimes if it's not showing award space on for regular people logged in, 
if you have a credit card, you'll get to see extra space. So no blackout dates, stuff like that. So it is a good card for if you're sadly a United frequent flyer. <laughs> All right. Now, Joe had a had a technical issue. He dropped off, but he wanted to ask, should he get the Sapphire Preferred or the Quest or both? And then in what order? Yeah, I would say pro- probably get the Sapphire Preferred first would be my recommendation just because that offer has been out a little bit longer. You don't know how long it's going to, to be around. It's also available ver- uh, via referral. So if you have a player two that has the card, you can refer it back to the other person, get some extra points that way. The United Quest card does show up if you have like an Explorer card type of thing where you can refer it to a, a player or two, but it doesn't come with the 100,000 point offer. It, it cuts off at the 80,000 point offer. So I would say go with the Sapphire Preferred. I would think that the Quest 100K is going to be around for a little bit since it's a new launch. So I would wait like a month or two after getting the Preferred and then sign up for the Quest. So yes, always both. That's my answer to any question. If you can pull it off, both. Every time. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. I mean, I was thinking of doing the Chase Sapphire Preferred first. Yeah, what are the best practices? Like, you think a month is good between um, applications and stuff? And, you know, the worst thing is that I'm going to be, like, if anything else comes along, I got to wait, right? You know, in the meantime, Chase with the rules. Yeah, I think month is fine. Some people, you know, only wait a couple days or whatever. So I I don't think Chase is too much of a stickler on that. Uh, If you could do more than two, then you might run into issues. But I think you're okay. Uh, But month is usually what I spread them out. All right. Anything else to uh, add, Joe, about the the Quest card? or? No, I mean, I'm just pretty excited to be able to apply for two Chase cards because, you know, I was... There was nothing really exciting me outside of the preferred, but being able to apply for two will be good. And my United balance is pretty low, but I um, like to have them. You know, my parents are in New Jersey, so, you know, I fly out of Newark quite a bit. So I think it's exciting. And maybe uh, my wife can apply for one, too. That one card. There you go. Got to hit it. <laughs> there you go. Well, he'll uh, let us know, I'm sure, when when and if that happens. Uh, let's talk about the next thing. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I know on Twitter and in the in the hobby and the you know miles and points community, people went crazy this week when American Express announced that guests will no longer be free in Centurion lounges, not starting for a while, but uh, that uh, basically only the card holders will be allowed in. And I know that all of us are, you know, we all travel with children, we all have families, we all carry American Express Platinum cards and have been to the Centurion lounges a lot of times. And I just wanted to know what you guys think. I mean. On one hand, I get it. On the other hand, I do feel like it's a little bit annoying that they did this. And I feel like they could have done other things like, you know, one-time passes, a certain number of things like that, uh, instead of going to the extreme. But what do you guys think? I will say it's nice that they pushed it out so far. 2023 is when it starts. So at least they gave everybody a good heads up versus, you know, an IHG where they crashed a value and then change it back like a week later because everybody's complaining. So they gave everybody some leeway there. So that's a good thing. Overall, I don't go to the Centurion lounges a ton. And, you know, long-term platinum card holder, I usually am going between platinums to take advantage of some stuff. So I'm not a huge platinum fan overall. So I don't know if it makes a big deal. I would have liked to see maybe like just family and, and eliminated other guests type of thing or, you know, kids under a certain age because paying $50 for a six or seven year old kid that's going to have like maybe one thing is not, it doesn't make any sense. So I do plan on doing a write up in the next week or so kind of comparing is the Delta reserve card, the best card now compared to the Amex platinum, because you're still getting the Centurion lounge access, the Delta airlines lounge access, and 
you're getting a whole bunch of other things perks with uh, Delta. So for Delta Flyers, I think that would be the way to go going forward with this change because you didn't used to get guest access with the reserve, but now it doesn't matter because they'd be on equal footing. So what do you think, Joe? I mean, I don't think that Amex was out to limit kids or whatever. I know that you know, the people who use the lounge and the anti-kids people are going to be like, oh yeah, good thing. But if you think about it just from a simple cost perspective, you know, Amex is trying to limit. You mean Bethany Walsh? (laughs) (coughs) Not invited back to the podcast. But um, I think that is not the reason they're doing it. They're they're trying to eliminate the freeloaders. I mean, we run around in circles of people who would have meetups at Centurion lounges and just hang out there like all day and taking advantage of the two extra guests. So I get that. I just, you know, I I feel like the easy thing to do would be to exempt kids under a certain age from these rules. But, you know, maybe they are trying to balance the people who don't want kids with the against the freeloaders and, you know, make everyone unhappy in the uh, I guess kids are freeloaders, too. I mean, they freeload from us for 18 years. So come on. Get it together, kids. They take care of our diapers when we get older, the circle of life. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But you random... make a good point that the average child is costing American Express less yeah, by entering the... that lounge than an adult who's drinking booze and eating lots of food. And I mean, so... my ki- my kids drink the uh, McAllen 18 while they're in the Centurion Lounge, but you know most kids don't. So <laughs> I will say yeah, I've yeah. never taken my kids in. Uh, we've never flown anywhere that had a Centurion Lounge when we were traveling. So just didn't matter. And the last time I used Centurion Lounge, I just went in there to use the bathroom because their bathrooms are nicer than <laughs> the, the regular bathrooms of Vegas. So I just like quickly went in, used the bathroom and then left. And they're like, oh, okay, have a good flight. <laughs> Yeah, in Vegas, I mean, I obviously have one here, but we don't use it too often because I don't want to show up to the airport extra early just to sit in the lounge. So the few times we have used it for like early flights, we ran in there, got like something quick for breakfast and and left. So it's not like the end of the world. But I think I agree with you, Joe, that they're probably trying to stop the adult guests coming in more, but they probably maybe see not having children as a as a good side effect to make you know those those people who hate children happy. But they do have children's play areas in all of the Centurion lounges. And um, so I don't know. It's it's an interesting shift in strategy. I don't think it's the end of the world for most people. I guess if you're constantly traveling with your kids and utilizing the lounges, then uh, it'll hurt. But I just, I just wish that they did find some yeah. middle ground for families. I wonder if they're going to turn those kids' areas into like a call, a cell phone calling center or something, like where you can go make a phone call without bothering I mean, I'd probably take area. that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's a fair trade off. Or maybe they just figure there's enough affluent American Express card holders who are going to pay the fifty dollar access for their families. And I expect that me. some people will. No, I and I don't think anybody in our hobby generally will. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, the rumors that the annual fee might increase. Mm-hmm. You know, if that happens, I almost wonder if they think it's just good business sense to like have you know, like people hold the Centurion card, which that annual fee is very high. Like a thousand dollars or something. Five thousand. Oh no! no, no. So like thousands of dollars. So maybe their goal is just to make having the platinum card, you know, more of a status thing. So you pay more for it, and you're more special, and blah blah blah. And maybe they ran the numbers, and they think you know that'll come out better than you know. Obviously, we don't make them that much money in the grand scheme of things. But even compared to high net worth people who have kids, um, or you know, want to have guests, like charge seven hundred dollars or whatever they want to charge for the annual fee, and maybe they make more overall. 
Well, and we've seen the lounges just completely overcrowded uh, over the, especially pre-COVID. And obviously their lounge network continues to expand. So they're spending more money on that. But the lounges just being crowded was such an issue for such a long time. They even had to rebuild lounges at a place like DFW where they had to build a completely new lounge. And so my guess is that that's become expensive and they're trying to you know, manage it so that they have enough uh, supply for the demand. And the only way to really decrease demand is to get less card holders or to give less people access. And that's what's happening. They got to pay for all those credits they gave us. So this is a way. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say, I mean, I do think that the overcrowding is a problem. So I understand what they're doing and maybe they will find some happy medium in the middle, but I'm not like, it feels like a kind of tone deaf decision, but also what are you going to do? You know, it's just making money at work. So I will you're say, gonna go you inside. Know... You're going to order three drinks. You're going to chug them while your kid waits outside. Well, I used to it's gonna be like a buffet where you just order everything and try it and throw it away just because you want to get your money's worth. I mean, I used to have to have my kids have like a cage match outside to decide which one would have to stay outside. But now I can leave all of them outside. So, you know, everybody loses. (laughs) Except for you. Except for you. Of course. Of course. So let's talk about a little bit more about my Florida trip. I thought it would be interesting to kind of go over the economics of it and, you know, where I stayed. I talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, but less about like the properties and the experiences and more about what I paid and how I saved a little bit of money and kind of start by talking about the car rental. Because the first thing I ran into, everybody's talking about how expensive car rentals are. And if you can imagine going into South Florida, the car rental was insane. Well, I wasn't able to like completely offset the car rental, what I did and what I think a lot of people should consider doing is I broke up my trip. So we arrived in Fort Lauderdale and we were staying on Miami Beach and the Uber between the two was about $50. But by renting my car on Miami Beach instead of at the airport, not only was I able to just take a couple of days off the car rental, but I was able to save hundreds of dollars in fees from the airport. You know, those facility fees, those taxes, that they add on airport rentals that they don't have on regular rentals. You know, my rental ended up being a couple hundred dollars less than it would have been had I just rented it at Fort Lauderdale Airport. And so that's a a good first step for people when they're looking at car rentals. Yeah, and to add one thing in, like I needed to make a one-way car rental for this weekend um, for something I need to do. And it's exactly what you said. There's a Hertz that's like right up the street from where I live. And I see that there's cars all the time because I know that when you were in Florida, you know, you were saying like, people were like waiting for cars or they didn't have cars. So I was like worried. And I was like, Oh, should I rent from Logan or should I rent from this place just up the street? And, you know, Logan was maybe it's only a one day, one way rental, but it was like $40 more. Plus I would be worried that I get to Logan and there's like no cars or whatever, but I drive past this other one on the way to my kid's school every single day. And there's like a ton of cars. So, you know, I think renting off of airport is a great tip there. So it saved me money. And it sounds like it saved you money too. It did. The one downside is that, like you mentioned, Joe, like you have less choice a lot of times at these local locations, even though the airport, you know, maybe have a lot more demand, they always have new cars coming in. And especially if you have elite status, like with national, I have executive elite that I got through a match. I can usually at an airport, talk myself into a really nice car. Whereas in Miami beach, I had a choice of like two Toyota Camrys, a Chevy Trax and, and something else. So I ended up with a Camry. It's a nice car. I nice ended up car. with a Toyota Camry, and uh, yeah, it's a nice car, no doubt Says about every, that. Every Uber driver in New York City drives a Camry. <laughs> it's practical. Yeah. It's practical. Yeah. I and they all have, you, like, I... the same license plate, so I hop in the wrong Camry, like, half the time. 
That reminds me like in, in Seattle. Have you ever gone to Seattle? You get picked up at the airport in an Uber and they're all Priuses, or at least as of a couple years ago, like every single one was a Prius. And I found out that there's these big institutions that buy them and then they rent them out to the Uber drivers. So they have, you know, this system to make it easier for Uber drivers to get them and they all have Priuses. So yeah, it's interesting how uh, geographically that changes. But yeah, the Toyota Camry is fine. It definitely doesn't drive like my Tesla. So that was... A bit of a oh, let me play the <laughs> let me play the world's smallest violin for I was, you. I was missing the acceleration uh, from the from the Tesla, but you know, overall, not uh, not nothing too uh, too big of a deal. But yeah, overall, save a couple hundred bucks just by doing that. And something I always recommend people do: check your options on there. Um, check different corporate codes that you may be eligible for from different banks, different clubs that you're a part of trying to find the best uh, discount and then the, I will say, sort of the best uh, combination of stuff. Yeah, play around with the different length of uh, trip too because for our Alaska trip, you know, we fly in late on a Friday. So I was like, oh, I won't, I won't pick up a car until Saturday. We'll just take a taxi or whatever to the hotel. So I did, I did price, I priced out both uh, days. And since it went, you know, sometimes when it goes to five days or seven days, you get a better rate per day. So by adding in the Friday, it was cheaper overall versus picking up the next day just because the length of rental dropped the the average day rate. So play around with those days and see what makes the most sense. And also consider uh, parking costs at the hotel if you're not a globalist. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that because you know I put this on the agenda just so I could Talk about how I'm a globalist, as I as I always do, just to make everybody out there, you know, have something to drink about, you know, because I think that's now part of the drinking game, the globalist stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's another good point is like, at, in my case, I was staying at Confidant in Miami Beach, to which I would have gotten free parking. So that wasn't the consideration. But at, a, at hotels, a lot of times people are paying $30, $40 a day to park. Do you really need to do that? And certainly that's a calculation into your overall cost, in my opinion. If you're going to rent a car and you're paying for parking, I add that parking fee into my my rental car consideration for, for overall cost. So the Confidant on Miami Beach, I think I talked about it a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago. I ended up staying three nights and it was pretty much sold out during that time. So uh, my global status came in handy a little bit. I was able to ask for a view of the ocean. I didn't get an upgraded room or anything, but... At that hotel, that was really nice because there are some rooms that just overlook the street or different buildings, and we did get a nice view of the ocean. The cash rates were about $500 a night, and I was able to use a Category 1 through 4 certificates. So when you add in the taxes, resort fees, um, the resort fees I wouldn't have ended up paying anyway, but the actual cash price for three nights was about $1,900. I really like the Confidant. It's not anything fancy. I don't know why anybody would want to pay $1,900 to stay there, but... Um, certainly it makes a good headline. I could say I use my three night certs for $1,900 value and I could, uh, tell all of you guys that, but you know, I mean, on one hand, I don't think the, the hotel's worth that much money, but on the other hand, I used certificates, got to stay right on Miami beach, right in the heart of spring break where it was sold out. And there's a ton of value in that, not to mention the free breakfast and the other stuff that comes with status. So that was a big win, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that I, that's why I like using certs versus points because I value them less, I guess, than I do points, which I wrote about a little while ago. So, you know, anything you get above and beyond with a cert just feels like gravy to me, where 
I know it doesn't make any mental sense because 15,000 points, a cert, whatever. For some reason, I always, you know, I say, oh, I spent $95 for this cert, assuming it's from the credit card annual fee or the 15K and uh, spend. But I always basically value them about $100. So if I get over $100, I'm coming out ahead. So you just ended up coming out way ahead. For sure. And then on the flip side, I went up to Orlando and didn't use points there. We stayed at the Hyatt Regency Orlando on International Drive. And when I had booked, the rates were fairly cheap. I was able to get $120 plus tax cash rate there. But they had some conventions that, that had come in. And by the time we actually stayed, the hotel was sold out. This is a giant hotel, like well over like 1,400, 1,500 rooms. I don't know if they were completely sold out or they just had some rooms offline or what was going on. But it ended up being really busy and the rates ended up getting close to $300 for the few you know rooms that they had left. So it, it ended up being pretty good there. I used a suite upgrade certificate, a globalist certificate, mainly because I don't have a lot of five, six night stays and that certificate's good for up to seven nights. So I figured locking in the suite was a good idea. And it turned out to be really good because I thought I would be able to just get a suite upgrade without doing that. And they ended up being full. So had I not locked it in with a certificate, I wouldn't have had a suite. And uh, that suite was, you know, 300 something dollars a night, separate bedroom and living room. Of course, I recorded the last episode of the podcast from there a couple weeks ago. But for 120 bucks a night, we got free breakfast. This hotel is actually going above and beyond for breakfast. You can eat in their diner. But they also give you these coupons that you can use instead at their market, which is like a grab-and-go. But they have a Starbucks there. So you get a hot Starbucks drink, a cold drink, like a bottled juice. Then you got an egg dish. Then you got a Danish. And you got something else. And so we ended up using that for like snacks throughout the week. And some days, like our for the three of us, our breakfast rang out at like 100 bucks for all the stuff that we were able to get. So it was kind of interesting to see how they were doing it uh, compared to other hotels like the one I stayed at in Newport Beach, where they gave us like a five-day-old Egg McMuffin as breakfast. So it was, it was They went down to the Speedway and picked it up, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was basically that. Here they had like the market is everything, all the grab-and-go stuff was high-end and fresh. But we also had the opportunity to eat in the restaurant if we wanted to. So it was like the best of both worlds. It was great. Hyatt Grand Cypress gets all the the headlines and the love and everything. And that is a great property. They have a lot of cool stuff. The pool's huge, but it, the pool's always cold. I've heard that it's heated and then I've heard it's not heated now. So I don't know. But if they ever heat that pool, it'll be amazing. But I actually like the one on International Drive a little bit better. Zero entry pool, a, a nice little water slide, waterfall. It's more of a business convention hotel. So you don't get as many families crowding the pool i feel like like you get a little more relaxation there because a lot of people are there during normal times for convention because it's attached to the convention center and then you also have all the options on international drive uh, for dinner and they have the the cool trolley that goes up and down the street that you can hop on hop off so you don't need to rent a car if you don't want to so i do i didn't i just wanted to say i enjoy that location speaking of hopping on hopping off i need to hop off to get my daughter however i want to point out to people that even if you're not a globalist like sean who's better than us just kidding hey i'm i'm globalist we're all globalists we're all globalists here (laughs) we're all snobs we're all snobs on this podcast here but uh you know even for like the normal person I think one thing that I always like to do, especially with hotels I don't have status with, is if I know I'm going and I know my dates and there's a price that is reasonable to me, 
I will book that because hotels, and this goes for car rentals as well, they are refundable. So, you know, you can book something in at a price that you like that's decent, and then you just keep checking, you know, and sometimes the price goes down, sometimes the price goes up, but, you know, you can keep moving the price down further and further as time goes on, which I guess you can kind of do that with airlines now, except for you have to like take it as a statement credit, stuff like that. And United, yes, they went back on their going back on their not having change fees, but, you know, who can really trust them at this point? But, you know, that is one tool I like to use if I'm paying with cash to just, you know, just keep slowly moving the, if the price is moving down, rebook, cancel, rebook, rebook, cancel. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing that I like to do and I'm always monitoring the prices and things like that, which of course leads me to procrastinating, which is why I'm on hold for four hours the day before a trip, but you know, to each their own. <laughs> I will say, uh, since you bring up status snob, I've been trying to get my wife to make, she, you know, she makes t-shirts and she made a cool one for the diamond lounge that says upgraded. And I've been trying to get her to make one that says status knob and then MTM diamond lounge. But she says she doesn't think that's cool enough. And I said, no, in our circles, having status snob says, is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, said, I think it would be. You still in people here? People would love it. You still in the chat, Kirsten? No. <laughs> All right, I gotta run, but uh, you know, good talking to you, everybody. See ya. Joe makes a good point about constantly looking at rates and just staying. You got to stay organized in order to do that, but it's always a good thing. I know that. Have you ever had that happen, Mark, where you've locked in a rate on something like a year before and you forgot, and then you get like an email reminder a couple of days before and you never canceled it? I've had that happen. So I've thankfully gotten more organized over the years, but just something to be aware of if you're doing that. I don't normally just book stuff to like lock it in as a potential, but I will book stuff for for a trip that I know and then I'll check, especially like a Southwest, check it periodically and see if the points dropped. But usually I use Southwest as a placeholder because it has a connecting flight or something if it's cheap. And then I'll look, check Delta every so often to see if I can get a direct flight or, you know, Spirit or something else. But yeah, I use that similar thinking, but not exactly the same way. All right. And so a couple other things that I did to, to save money here is, and one of the reasons I chose to pay cash is before COVID, they Hyatt had a gift card sale over the holidays, uh, I think in 2019, where they offered 10% off gift cards. And I had bought some knowing that I stay in a lot of Hyatts. So I was You're glad playing, to finally play the long game those. here. <laughs> Well, I wasn't playing the long end because COVID, I didn't know COVID was going to come. So, so I had planned to use all of those within, you know, within last year, but uh, I still had some of those. So it was good to be able to get rid of those. Also took another 10% off my stay. One other consideration was parking. That hotel charges $27 a day for parking and globalists don't get free parking on paid stays. So I just reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm considering staying at your hotel or another hotel. I think I'm going to book a cash rate. Will you provide free parking? And I given them the choice, not you know, not t acting entitled to it or anything, they can then make that decision. And I do that quite often with properties and almost always they, they end up providing free parking. So that's just another tip if, yeah. uh, if you have status, but also it's always a good idea to reach out and talk to the property. In this case, they also gave us a cabana for free one day at the pool, which uh, is a hundred dollars. And that was a good value there. The cabanas were really nice. They even gave us the food and beverage credit that you get when you pay for a cabana. So overall, uh, it was a great stay and I, and I did enjoy it. And for $120 a night, I feel like with a suite, with all the breakfast, with the other stuff that they did, daily housekeeping, Mark, which is not something that's being done, uh, but for global, I don't want that normally. I, well, on a <laughs> trip with my daughter, when she's throwing, when she's destroying the room. I don't care. Um, I always put the sign, even before uh, the pandemic, I always put the sign up and then I would call down if I need towels, but I don't need them coming in there and picking up and, you know, my trash never gets that full unless I'm in Vegas and we're eating fish and chips like 47 times during that uh 
<laughs> and everybody's coming to hang out and piling up boxes. But other than that, usually I, I say no. I will say that the Hyatt Regency on International Drive, they have a good team. And I've reached out before. I, I was just an explorist. And I'd book a point stay. And then I'd reach out and say, hey, what's it cost to upgrade to a suite? And they usually will give it to me for 50 bucks a night, which is a great value when you're with kids. Because there's a pull-out sofa in the other room. So they can go to bed at their normal time. You can sit in your... Um, bedroom and watch netflix or whatever on your tv so it, it adds a lot and well worth the 50 dollars. i don't even remember seeing cabanas at the pool but now i want to get one they're actually nice ones too they have a fan and a tv and a refrigerator not the like makeshift ones that you see other places so overall happy with that got a great value there and i'm kind of just walking through this trying to kind of say little tidbits of how i save things or what i think about to kind of share that information the last hotel was the grand hyatt tampa bay which ended up not Uh-oh. liking in, in some ways <laughs> And I really ended up liking it by the end in some ways. Uh, The first room that they gave us uh, was just in terrible condition. And it had like jelly beans on the floor from the previous guests. It wasn't cleaned very well. Um, There was paint missing everywhere. Uh, It looked like a bad Hyatt Place room. I mean, of course, the materials were a little bit higher. like Rio Las Vegas clean job. (laughs) The materials are a little bit nicer uh, being a Grand Hyatt, but it didn't look like in great shape. So I reached out to to the manager and they got me a, a very similar room. I was in a 12th floor Bayview club room. Of course, the club is closed. They moved me to a ninth floor room with the same view. So I wasn't trying to get a better room or anything. The other room they gave me was in much better condition. Like it didn't have any of the, the wear and tear that the, that the first room did. There we got free breakfast every morning in the, in they had a buffet, which they would serve people or you could order off the menu. So it was about 50 bucks a day in breakfast. The other thing that was cool about this property, because the club was closed, they decided to give people $30 a day globalist $30 a day credit that could be used in their restaurants. And so they gave us $180 in credit. Um, this goes to all globalists, uh, $180 in credit for the two nights. So the first nights we used $60, $60 in credit at their kind of grab and go to go restaurant. And then the second night we had a beautiful seafood dinner at their seafood restaurant by the bay. And the $120 covered like almost all of our check for, you know, steak and seafood and everything. So I paid 12,000 points a night and they gave us free breakfast and basically free dinner both nights too. And the beautiful views of Tampa Bay. That hotel needs a renovation badly, but uh, the location's really cool. And uh, overall, like the value between those three hotels um, was was pretty astronomical, I think. I think that you said you had read on TripAdvisor, uh, several people had made comments about the rooms not being cleaned very well at the Tampa Bay location. So it's something to be aware of. You want to know what what the manager said to me? Uh, so he just said, basically, whether this is true or not, but they can't find people to hire to be housekeepers right now because of, uh, you know, people getting, I don't know, stimulus or whatever. But he said that they're just having a really hard time finding people. So he didn't even deny that it's an issue. Um, which so he's like, we only clean every other room. You just happen to get the odd number. So I'm sorry, that's tomorrow. You know, today we clean the even number rooms, basically. We we're just hoping people didn't leave a mess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seemed like that. There, I didn't see any housekeepers in the halls. There was no daily housekeeping if you wanted it as a globalist. And I only say that to contrast with the Orlando property, which offered it proactively for globalists, but not for other guests. But he basically said, we're having such a hard time finding uh, maids and housekeepers in all of our positions that it's uh, really difficult. So I'd like to give that hotel another chance. I do hope that they get renovated. It's right next to the airport. Really good location if you're going to like a football game there too. And those Bayview rooms, I mean, the sunset over Tampa Bay is spectacular. I mean, absolutely spectacular. So 
even with the issues walk, with the room don't they have a like a walking area around the water and stuff uh through the marshy area and, and everything like yeah. a wooded walk yeah, pathway they, they have a the main hotel is kind of in one area and then they have these sort of bungalows that are down by the water that you can stay in as well and then they have this boardwalk that goes through the marshes to connect the two and then they have pools on both ends they even have a dock that goes right out on the tampa bay where you can rent jet skis and stuff like that uh, in that area too so that all kind of worked for me i thought it was really cool the the insane value with the with that extra 180 dollars in credit um was was good too and um yeah so overall i thought that the stay was pretty good although i do think that that hotel needs some uh some love uh in the end but yeah i mean so i don't know what the what the retail value of this trip was but it was in the many thousands of dollars and Yes, I paid a little bit of cash at the Orlando property, but even then I, I earned back, I want to say 15,000 Hyatt points on a $600 stay. So, you know, that's a, almost a 20, 25% rebate in cash value too. Uh, so yeah, overall really good. And uh, it was good to be on the road again. All right. And let's, uh, let's move on to rapid fires. Mark, what you got? Yeah, so I published today the American Airlines Reduced Mileage Award chart just got bumped out. So June and July is available it's a perk that uh, for cardholders, for City American Airlines cardholders, you can get 70, up to 7,500 miles off a round-trip flight. You can book one ways and get half as much. You have to find a saver award, so you know domestic economy, 25,000 miles. If you find that, you can get it for 7,500 miles less. And there's certain airports, it, it, it can be the destination or you know the departing airport. So let's say you're you live in... Atlanta and Atlanta's on the list. You can actually easily get it because it will work anywhere since you're flying out of and back into Atlanta. So something to check out. Not, not a lot of people take advantage of it, but it's an easy way to get uh, reduced award flights if you can find the saver space, which is harder than ever with American because they use the web specials and stuff, which aren't really a part of that. So, but worth checking out. A lot of good locations. How about you, Sean? My rapid fire is Bellagio in Las Vegas is renovating all of the 2,500 plus rooms in their main tower. And uh, so that's sort of a big deal. It's one of the more iconic properties in Vegas, certainly, and in the world, I would argue. And uh, they invited me over there to tour the rooms. So I was able to film the new rooms, did a YouTube video, find it at youtube.com forward slash miles to memories. Also an article on the site uh, to check out with some pictures and stuff of my impressions. I was able to tour both a double queen room and a king room, which have different decor. There's a little bit of controversy with them removing the tub. So definitely looking forward to hearing everybody's opinions on what they think of the room. And Do people I think use the tub, remodel. you know, any different than just passing out at the end of the night? <laughs> well, in luxury hotels, it's pretty standard in luxury hotels to have a yeah. separate tub and shower. And I think that's where people are getting a little bit upset. In Vegas, I would, you know, I would argue uh, that, that those tubs are too I don't large feel to like, use. Yeah, I don't feel like they use them in Vegas very often. But I, I totally understand if you're at a luxury retreat and you want to take your time and relax, but just not really the Vegas thing, I don't think. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I will say it was kind of cool to see because you started filming and you could see the hallway was split in two, like the old hallway and the new hallway. And the old hallway looked really bad. <laughs> compared well, to the new it might not have seemed bad before but when you see it it's like so dark and and just and then you go to the new one and it's very bright and modern i didn't know you know because you did a good job in the video of of showing a side by side of the old room and the new room uh the actual old room like the the main bed area it didn't seem like it was 
a huge difference to me. The bathroom, definitely a big difference, but the hallway was where I saw the most contrast, I thought. Well, there's a lot more whites in the room than there was before. So where there was color, like on the backdrop, there's some color now, but they put in white paneling. And the big difference was in that bathroom, they removed the shower. They made where the tub was a, a new shower, a big shower. And then they took the area where the shower was and made it into a, a closet in the room. And that that enabled them to remove a big wardrobe, like a big dresser that they had. And so it opens up the rooms. And especially in the double queen room, it gives it a, a lot more space feeling. So, yeah, check out the video. Check out the article. Um, I, I think really like it's the double vanity, um, which was a good addition. But the mirror in it was really cool, like an overlapping light up mirror. I thought was really neat. Yeah. And there's some silver. There's some like it almost looks like seashells in there, but it's just very metallic colored pieces inside those mirrors. So it's just very modern. It's a different take that if you like that old world Italian luxury kind of theme, that's probably something that's gone now, but I feel like the decisions they made are, were pretty good overall. Bellagio, certainly not my overall favorite hotel in Las Vegas, but uh, I would be glad to sleep in those rooms. Those beds look comfortable. It all looked really good to me. And I do hope to try it out in the next couple months to actually stay there and do a review. All right. And that's going to do it for us this week. As a reminder, you can always find Joe at As the Joe Flies and all of his many things that he does. Mark, where can uh, people catch up with you you can find me on twitter at detroit mark email me mark at miles to memories.com come on in any of our articles on the website i'll get back to you there join our facebook groups join our patreon group we always have a lot of conversations extra shows a lot of interaction so any way you want to do it you can do it how about you sean yeah miles to memories.com for uh, 30 to 50 articles and then youtube.com forward slash miles to memories for vegas and uh, if you like listening to Mark and I, we do a weekly Vegas video podcast on the YouTube channel and you can find all of our Vegas stuff at mtmvegas.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Joe. Thanks, Mark. Talk to you next time. for this this is amazing <laughs> the pros are back in charge yeah i still gotta it's get under video clips time. mark you Yo, this music video. this music slaps <laughs> video i don't have video clips on my screen i swear if i know that i'm going and we're leaving okay 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 cc hi cc 